Good morning, Mill City. For anybody who maybe is brand new with us, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to take a moment and welcome everybody who's joining us online. We're so glad that you're here with us. Give them a warm welcome. I also want to take a moment and welcome everybody in Overflow. There we go. All right. And the balcony. All right. And, and the floor. All right. Yeah. For any of you who maybe uh, haven't been around for a while, you're like, why are we even in this room? Uh, we get bumped out of our normal gathering space, uh, usually about once a year for the opera. And so, uh, so we're in here for two more Sundays, and then we'll be back to uh, a normally gathering space on Sunday mornings. So, uh, and I want to highlight one more thing before I jump into the message. Um, if you haven't been here, especially these last couple of weeks, I announced that we are starting a campaign, a giving campaign called So That. And we're raising funds to be able to purchase and move into a permanent home at some point in hopefully our near future. And so um, a couple of things that I want you to do in regards to that. If you missed the message on March 5th, a couple of Sundays ago, I want to encourage you to listen or watch that uh, for the overview as well as some more details on that. Uh, for anybody that does not have one, if you would, pick one of these up, booklet that gives details on finances, where we are, what's next, how this all works. Um, you can pick one of these up in the lobby on the second floor. There's a So That banner. There's also somebody there that would be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, and then lastly, one of the things that Jossie and I have found valuable is we've had individual conversations, some small group conversations. It's just been valuable to talk about uh, and answer any questions, kind of dialogue about where we're at as a church, dream into the future. And, uh, and so we're setting up for the, in the next several weeks uh, what we're calling So That Roundtables. And um, we're breaking them up based on eras, and so you'll be invited based on how long you've been at Mill City. So the first one is next Sunday. It's a lunch right after church, uh, right after the 11:30, or excuse me, the 10:30 gathering. So it's about noon, um, and this is for anybody who's been a part of Mill City uh, for eight years or longer. This is what I call the OG roundtable. All right, so. Uh, we'd love to see you there. I think it's going to be loads of fun uh, to connect with people who've been around for that long. The next is uh, for those who have been around uh, kind of from that point till about 2020. And then the last one is three years or less. So you kind of came during COVID or post-COVID. And, um, and so there's dates on the screen. Uh, we'll try and get those, that information out to you uh, if we have your email and all that kind of thing. But uh, if you would, or certainly if we don't have that information, if you would mark that on your connection card, we want to make sure you get an invite. We want to make sure that you get all the details. Uh, but those are coming up here in the next few weeks. You can mark that down on your calendar, and, um, and it's going to be a great time together talking about what God is leading us into in the season to come. In 2019, uh, there was a study done on the emotional effects or how much it impacted our emotional energy to, to either what they call surface act or deep act. So surface acting is when you pretend you feel a certain way. In other words, uh, you're faking an emotion that you might need it at a, t at a particular time. So think a flight attendant, someone who smiles and talks enthusiastically, even though they might be really mad or totally distracted. 
This certainly can apply to a teacher. It can apply to any of us in lots of different situations. And that takes a higher emotional toll than somebody who's deep acting, which means that what gets expressed matches what's going on on the inside, who they are at the core. Now, there's always some level of surface acting. We might be engaged in it in some form or another throughout our lives. But at the end of the day, the goal is, and the goal specifically as followers of Jesus, is that our interior, the core of who we are, matches what we do on the outside. That there is a congruence between our doing and our being. So the goal as a follower of Jesus is not just that we would do loving things, but that we would become a person of love. And so we're talking through our vision of Mill City Church, have been for the last couple of weeks, we'll finish this up next week. So if you're unfamiliar with the vision of Mill City Church, it'll come up here on the screen, and that is that we would encounter Jesus, that we are becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did so that northern Colorado looks more like heaven. So today we're taking our time talking about becoming like Jesus. And this really is an attempt not just to articulate Jesus' vision for our church, but this is an attempt to most specifically determine, articulate, and communicate Jesus' vision for all of our lives, that we would encounter Him, become like Him, and do what He did. And so today we're going to talk out of Luke chapter 6. This is I believe the shortest parable of Jesus in the Gospels, just two verses. And it says, He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now this particular parable comes in the middle of what is known as the the Sermon on the Plain. It is similar to the Sermon on the Mount, It is just in a different place. It's on a plane, not on a mount. And right before this, Jesus has been talking about loving your enemies, and he's been talking about not judging someone else, but instead not taking the, the, not poke, trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, but taking the log or the plank out of your own. So he's talking about some pretty significant things, and he starts off by saying, can't the, can the blind lead the blind? Can those who don't live in this way lead others to live in that way? Now, when he's talking about the blind, he's actually very specifically referring to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law of those, that particular day, whom he referred to often as blind guides. And the reason was that they were leading people, trying to teach them in the way of God, but they themselves weren't actually living out the way of God. And so he's saying... Can the, the, can the Pharisees and the teachers of the law lead you to what I'm talking about when they, in fact, themselves aren't doing this? Rhetorical question, but of course the answer is no. And he says, the student is not above the teacher. The student here he's talking about is the student of a rabbi. So student and teacher are words for rabbi and disciple. In that particular day, It was normal for somebody to say, I'm going to follow this rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi, but there was other rabbis, and there were other disciples of different rabbis. So what he's saying here is is that the goal is for the student to become like the teacher, the disciple to become like the rabbi. I like the 
the terminology of apprentice rather than disciple. Same words can be the same meaning, but I like the word apprentice because to be an apprentice of Jesus, to be an apprentice of somebody is to not just learn one thing, it's to learn everything. And so this passage, this parable is about discipleship. It's about apprenticeship to Jesus. It's about living into his teachings and not just embracing them in our heads, but living them out in our lives. And he's saying the student can be and is supposed to become like their teacher. To be an apprentice of Jesus is not just to believe in Jesus, but to act like Jesus. Gandhi in India at one point explored Christianity. He found the Sermon on the Mount to be absolutely fascinating. He's intrigued and he was, he was contemplating following Jesus. But he found that his interactions with followers of Jesus convinced him otherwise. He was rejected by Christians, and he found Christians to prefer war to making peace. And so he says this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I think that an aspect of apprenticeship to Jesus was missed. Jesus goes on in this parable and says, that everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher, meaning training is required. To be an apprentice of Jesus, for a student or an apprentice to become like their rabbi Jesus, it requires training, which also implies that we can be partially trained and not fully trained. He says, if you're not fully trained, we can be partially trained, we can be not trained at all. So I'm going to take an educated guess. I've not talked with every one person in this auditorium, in Overflow or online, but I've talked with enough of you that I think that this applies to every one of us. That all of us in some form or another need to grow and experience transformation from the inside out. That that there is ways that we can grow in love, in peace, in patience, in joy, in gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit, the things that come from the inside. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image. This, this phrase, being transformed, indicates process. That it is a process that we are being formed into the likeness of Jesus. That it is over time. Now, this doesn't sit well for us in an age of shortcuts and quick fixes, in the age of microwaves and Amazon Prime. But you cannot overnight character, and fruit cannot be faked. It's it's more, the, the Greek word for transformed is metamorpho, which is where we get the word metamorphosis, which for a lot, which, which, maybe is best pictured with the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. It is a massive change. It's a transformation. I can think over, as I was putting this together, I was thinking about how, as I've walked with Jesus now for quite a long time, the different areas of my life that are, have been and continue to be in need of transformation. The areas where I do not feel fully trained. I can think of of, of oftentimes the impact of negative comments. 
and how it would land and I'd have a hard time letting them go. As an Enneagram 3, any Enneagram 3s here in the room? All right, to you three, this will apply. <laughs> an Enneagram 3, this would be me, cares a lot about how people view them. So to hear a negative comment has a, is, a, is hard for me to think that somebody might view me negatively. Now certainly, there's reason and for growth and feedback and need for change. But it did not settle well for me. I became anxious, defensive, and, try, and oftentimes it's been time justifying. But over time, God has worked in me. And by the way, when I say over time, over years, God has worked in me in such a way so I don't find myself being reactive. I can actually calmly say, oh, thank you. God, what is it that you want to teach me? What's true? Or ask somebody, hey, tell me more about that. Can you help me understand what you meant by that or how you received that? And there's still work to go. It takes time. It's a process. We are fully trained maybe in some areas and not fully trained in others. This process of transformation is described by Dallas Willard, who wrote a lot, several different books on spiritual formation, says, calls this getting new insides. And he's referencing Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, there's that phrase in where he's referring to. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. What's he saying? Work on the inside, let the insides be transformed, and as a result, what happens on the outside will match. And so, I want to take a few moments and talk through what Jesus is saying, unpack just a bit of what Jesus is saying when He talks about apprenticeship to Jesus. Number one, apprenticeship to Jesus is about everything. Everything. I have right here Josie and I's marriage license. Whoa. Yes, this is an old document. <laughs> July 29th, 1995. Signed, me and Jossie signed it. Uh, it's also signed by my best man and signed by Jossie's sister, her maid of honor. And it's signed by Pastor Chris Hodges, one of our overseers. Um, he was here just a few weeks ago. Now, it was a beautiful day. We signed it on July 29th, 1995. Does this make me a husband? Technically, yes. Now, if any time that I am not serving Jossie and acting in a nice, husbandly, godly way, do I just say, hey? <laughs> like, hey, don't worry about it. You signed to this, remember? I'm a husband, I'm doing a good job. Of course not. That would be the, this is the lowest common denominator. Too often when we talk about being a Christian, we talk about the lowest common denominator. How many times have, have, have you maybe heard somebody say, or maybe somebody's asked you, or you've asked somebody, are you a Christian? What are you asking? Have you prayed a prayer? For one, that is the lowest common denominator. Two, that's not found in the teachings of Jesus. 
apprenticeship to Jesus is not just a Sunday thing. Being a husband is not just signing a marriage license. Apprenticeship to Jesus is about Him impacting every corner of our existence. It's about every aspect of our lives being organized around Him. Our finances and our understanding of what we do with our finances organized around Jesus, organized around His teaching. Our dreams organized around the, teaching, the teachings and goals of Jesus. Our time organized around, formed by Jesus. Our understanding of sexuality formed by and given direction to and organized around the teachings of Jesus. It's an everything, all the time thing. I like to say it this way, no vampire Christians. I'll take some of your blood, please, but I don't want to be your student. A.W. Tozer, wow, it got quiet in here. A.W. <laughs> Tozer, pastor and author, wrote in his book called I Call It Heresy, salvation apart from obedience is unknown in the sacred scriptures. He's, we're called into a full life with Jesus. We're called into not just show up on a Sunday. Yes, we show up on a Sunday. Yes, we, we engage with one another. But, but here in a couple of hours, that, that's apprenticeship to Jesus. City groups matter so much. But before and after city groups and Saturday mornings and, and every other time of the week, that matters to Jesus too. See, we've been sold a myth that following Jesus is just about ideas or a worldview. We can thank the Enlightenment for that. I think, therefore I am, was the pinnacle statement of the Enlightenment. But we are not brains with legs. We cannot think our way into Christ-likeness. Our minds are important. How we think matters. But the way of Jesus is just that, a way. The original followers of Jesus were called people of the way. And it wasn't because it was just that's the cool name they picked. It was because people noticed the way they lived in relationship to who Jesus was. And too often our approach to discipleship is solely an intellectual endeavor. In the late modern West, we're a bit more familiar with reading a book or listening to a podcast than we are to following a rabbi. We've grown accustomed to reading a book full of ideas, setting that said book on a shelf, and then moving on without doing much about it. Anybody in here want to get fit? It would be good to read a book or read a magazine or go online about how to best be fit. But unfortunately, information transfer does not equal life transformation. So you can read all about how it looks and how it feels and what you need to do to be fit. But unless you go work out, change your eating habits and sleep well, you're probably not going to be fit. In other words, following Jesus is not just about reading something and then we're done. Following Jesus does have to do with our minds, but it has to do with our bodies and our souls, has to do with our habits and our rhythms, has to do with every aspect of our time and what our lives and every aspect of our lives are organized around. See, we might read about or think or see somebody who's really fit and think, I want that, 
but then too often aren't willing to do what they did to get where they are. And Jesus and the disciples and the earlier church fathers and mothers and people throughout history are saying, do it. It's worth it. Everything about your life given over to Jesus to be his apprentice so that the student can be like the teacher. Second thing I want to highlight is apprenticeship to Jesus is about trust. You ever go to the doctor and they give you some instructions? Or the dentist and they tell you that you need to floss or you need to do this, you know, your teeth need this or your gums need that. And so you might say, oh, I know a really great dentist. I know a really great doctor, but if we don't do what they tell us to do, do we really trust them? I mean, if you say that you trust your doctor and they give you things to do in order to get well or to, or to, to prevent sickness in some form or another, chances are we're going to do it. Why? Because we trust them. See, Jesus didn't come just to save our souls, but to show us what it looks like to be fully human. Do we trust that He knows what it looks like for you and me to be fully human, to flourish and be who God's called us to be? Do we believe that? Do we trust Him? Do we trust the ser- what He says in the Sermon on the Mount? Do we trust the Beatitudes that He says that it is better for us to be meek in a world that does not celebrate meekness? Do we really believe the words of Jesus that we are to to bless those who curse us? That we are to, that we're to rejoice when we're persecuted? In a world that says, fight for your rights when you're persecuted. Do we really trust the words of Jesus? Do we trust the words of Jesus that, that we're to love our enemies? Do we trust the words of Jesus that we can hold loosely to our money, that we don't have to worry. I can relate to these feelings when thinking about our So That Giving campaign. We announced it a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, what in the world have we just done? (laughs) We're trying to raise a lot of money. And I started to get nervous, and I started to worry. What if people don't give? What if people don't ask God? What if they don't listen? What if they hear and they don't obey? And I was brought back to Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, where he, said, he doesn't just say, don't worry, but he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Okay, God, do I trust you? Can I take you at your word? Am I going to give you an opportunity to prove yourself. Do, can I really believe that we have a, a, a church family that is actually going to ask God and is going to listen and going to be open-handed with finances and we're all going to participate? I'm going to trust that. Do I need to try and control and manipulate? No. Can I truly trust God that He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear, don't worry about what you're going to eat, don't worry about where you're going to live, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. A place to live for us. I can trust God. Think about the places where maybe you're nervous about the places where Jesus speaks into our lives. I don't know about that. 
I think I need to manage this. But can we trust Jesus? Can we take him at his word, even if we don't understand it? Too often we want to understand it before we obey it. Even if we don't like it, too often we might understand it, but we don't like it, so we don't do it. Or it's just not popular, so then, you know, I just want to do what makes more sense to everybody. But apprenticeship to Jesus is about trust, taking Him at His word. And then finally, apprenticeship to Jesus is about death. If we are going to be students that turn into teachers, students, apprentices that look like our teacher, our rabbi Jesus, the road to that outcome includes death. It doesn't just include a a, a tweak in our minds. It includes death. It says in Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How did he get there? Through crucifixion. We think of Jesus being crucified, and oh, thank God for that. But Jesus didn't just go to the cross to die for us. He went to the cross to show us how to die so that we might die. Because as followers of Jesus, we believe that death never has the last word. And resurrection comes on the other side of death. And that didn't just happen for Jesus, that happens for you and for me. We so deeply and desperately want resurrection in our lives but we're unwilling to die. You can only have resurrection from dead things. Later on in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we crucify the things, the passions, the desires that, al- that don't align with the way of Jesus. Our understanding of what makes us right or righteous before God. We crucify our ideas that we think we're good enough. We crucify our ideas around finances or time. We crucify and die to our understandings of sexuality. Die to what we think is our identity in relationship to sexual orientation. And we die to the idolatry of marriage. We die to the things that we make ultimate, even good things. We can make, if you're a parent, we can make our kids an ultimate thing. Put too much pressure on them, create our lives, and our lives are organized around our kids, not around Jesus. Our ability to die will be directly proportional to our becoming like Jesus. If we want to see the life of Jesus come out of us, we have to die. It's going to cost us everything. It's a message that unfortunately I think is not heard enough in the American church. Come to Jesus, he'll make your life great. Oh, by the way, the way to that great life is death. Death to what you want 
what you think, what you, how, it, how you think your life should go. But after following Jesus and die, doing a, a bunch of dying and have more dying to go, I can promise you this. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Becoming more like Jesus is worth it. The death and the pain is worth it because the resurrection on the other side is worth it. So I have a weekly practice every week for us to live into, to think about. A weekly practice this week is for us to evaluate our apprenticeship to Jesus. Will you evaluate your apprenticeship? Like, where am I not fully trained? What aspect of my life doesn't look like Jesus? What aspect of my life isn't exhibiting the fruits of the Holy Spirit? So evaluate your apprenticeship to Jesus and invite him into an area that needs transformation. What area of your life needs transformation? If you're unsure, ask somebody close to you. If you can't think of one, humility should probably be at the top of your list. (laughs) We all have areas. And if we can't name them, chances are we're going to have a hard time living into them and dying to the areas that need to die, we need to die to. Who are you becoming? Play your life out 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Do the habits of, your, of today turn you and, and create transformation, create space for the Holy Spirit to do a metamorphosis? That's the goal. It's the goal for you and for me. It's the goal for all of us. And I want to encourage you this week to tell somebody. Maybe this is a conversation in your city group. Because if you want to get fit, but you don't tell anybody, if you don't get fit, nobody's going to know. But if you tell somebody, all of a sudden, something happens. But here's the beautiful thing. If we all know that we're not fully trained and we have some areas of our lives then that means we live in a context and of a community where there is no shame. We follow the way of Jesus together. We need each other actually to become who God's called us to become. That's why our first practice of the year was community. Because alone, not going to happen. Together, we can see it. And so for some of you here today, God's calling you to a first step towards this. And it's a step of putting your faith and your trust in God to say, Jesus, I take you at your word that you are who you said you were. You did what the scripture said. You went to the cross so that you might take all the sin and the brokenness of the world. And you came out of that grave three days later and as a result, can have new life. Forgiveness, new life, new creation, metamorphosis is possible can get some new insides. If that's you here today, maybe this is your first time in church. This applies for everybody online. If you're in overflow, just under your breath, sincerely, Jesus, I give you my life. It's a simple step to cross the line of faith. Jesus, I give you my life. You are giving your life away so that you might receive Jesus' life in you. 
You are dying to your old self so that the new self, Jesus and his power, resides in each one of us. If that's maybe a decision you made for the first time or the first time in a long time, welcome to the family of God and welcome to new life. Together we want to embrace the reality of this by taking communion together. As you walked in here today, Everybody should have received a communion cup. If for some reason you missed that, it's no problem. If you want, if you will, you just raise your hand real high, balcony, overflow, floor, and one of our hosts will make sure to get a communion cup to you. If you can just hold on to that for a moment, we'll take communion together in just a second here. The scripture says that before we take communion together, we're to examine ourselves. And so I want to give you about 30 seconds. just want you to take a moment And would you allow the Holy Spirit to search you, know you, find any anxious or offensive way in you? Maybe, maybe it's pride. I don't need much transformation. Maybe it's a, I've just walled off Sundays. That's yours, God, and the rest is mine. Maybe it's your perspective on someone else who's not fully trained. Judgment. Whatever it might be, will you just open your heart, your life towards God and confess and repent before Him? Following Jesus is not just an individual practice, but a corporate, collective, communal practice. And so we want to confess together as well. Confessional prayer is going to come up here on the screen. We're going to pray that together. We pray this together as a reminder that each one of us is in the, in the, is in the same need of grace as anyone else. That the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's also a reminder for any one of us who feel like somehow what we've done is too much, too far, maybe under a cloud of shame, that the grace of God reaches far in us enough for each and every one of us. And so let's say this confessional prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, And by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. If you would, take the communion cup. You can peel off the top layer that gives you access to the bread. Peel off the next layer that gives you access to the juice. Before we take it together, I want to, re- I want to read a passage of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul, talking about communion, says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread together. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the juice together. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for giving your life away. Thank you for showing us what sacrificial love really looks like. And as a result of your sacrificial love, brought new life, new hope. And so I pray, God, that as we take the bread and the juice, we're not just reminded of what you did, but we remember in the present the grace that is given to us, the forgiveness of sins that's offered to us, the new life, and the ways in which we, because of what you've done and the power of the Spirit in us, can become more like you, which includes going to a cross, dying out of sacrificial love, so that the world around us might experience the fullness of God. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said...